Africa, I, uh, I was reading through our devotions as a team, and I came, uh, part of the reading was the story of Gideon. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was processing some of the things that God was doing and how God works, and sometimes it doesn't look the way we want it to. And um, had also been thinking about a challenge that Julie Frady gave me to preach about Deborah, another one of the judges. So I read through the book of Judges, and uh, I had just recently, some of you will remember, preached about Samson. So I didn't want to go back and revisit him. But uh, I, I, I processed some of this stuff, and I came back and changed my preaching plan. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the book of Judges and uh, look at becoming stuck and getting stuck in a cycle of, uh, or a pattern of behavior, of spiritual behavior that God wants to break. And getting out of just going around the hamster wheel of uh, ignoring God, walking away from him, finding ourselves in crisis, crying out to him, and then returning, and then just doing it all again and again and again. So we're going to talk about that. So um, think about being stuck or caught and how God wants to break the cycle where we walk away from him or we abandon him at times. The problem with abandoning God that I want you to be aware of is that we tend, and we see this over and over again in the book of Judges, we tend that once we experience the freedom that God gives, we tend to take that for granted and we start to take kind of some license and freedom from that And then we think, well, because things are going well for us, we are free and we can willingly choose another way other than the way that God wants us to go. And that will work out fine. And it might for a while, but eventually when we choose our way that's contrary to God's way, it falls apart. And when it does, Our tendency as humans is to look back to God and say, so where were you? You know, I was doing this stuff. Why didn't you take care of it? Why didn't you bless what I was doing? Why aren't you taking care of me? And we tend to think that we're abandoned by God when actually prior to that we walked away from him. And that's kind of the pattern of of judges. So I've I've drawn this. There's several of these. If you go online and uh, put the cycle of judges or a, a picture of the cycle of godlessness and judges it'll bring up about 50 of these. This is mine. Um, and if you, by the way, if you want any of this stuff, let me know and I'll, I'll email it to you or print it out for you. Um, so if you start there at the upper right-hand corner where people are obeying God and, and they're living in this sense that we honor God and he helps take care of us, this is what happened over and over again in the book of Judges. The people were living, they were honoring God, and as a result of that, they were blessed. And part of that blessing usually looked like some form of affluence. Being in times of peace and times of plenty meant that things got a little bit easier. And as things got a little bit easier in affluence, that kind of leads us to pride. And we go, you know what? We're pretty good. Um, There's always a risk of success, isn't there? There's a risk attached to success that we might think that we did it ourselves and become proud. And and in our pride, then it leads us to a place where we go, you know, I don't really need God anymore. I've kind of got this figured out and things are working for me now and life is on track. And so I'm going to keep going my way because it seems like this is working right now. And that is... There on the right where we make that turn into rebellion from God. 
And it's usually not a shaking your fist at God. It's usually just an open hand to God saying, you know, no thanks. It's not outright defiance and anger at God. It's just, you know, I'm going to try this because I think I've got it figured out. But that leads us into this rebellion where we just walk away from God. And then, as we walk away from God, sooner or later we're going to experience some kind of a crisis. I call it calamity on here. Something bad is going to happen. In the book of Judges, those calamities, we, we want to tend to see them as, oh, God did that to the people. But really what it was, was God took his hands off. So, I want to go my way, and God says, okay, try that for a while. (laughs) And then it looks bad, and it looks like some kind of calamity. And then out of that crisis and calamity, all of a sudden, the people of Israel and ourselves find ourselves in this place where it's not just that things have gone badly, but now I am beholding to someone or something that is not of God. I have invested myself in the wrong places And that's where my heart is. And in that place, we see oppression. And we'll see it here with Gideon in a moment. And then when we really experience oppression, when it becomes fully developed, we start to panic. And things get bad, really bad, really fast. And um, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we feel about God. And we are in despair. And this is where at the point where completely opposite to affluence where, hey, God's with us and we're blessed and everything's okay. God has forgotten us and we're about to be destroyed. We're about to go under. And in that, there on the left-hand side, going upwards to repair, we cry out to God and we say, have you forgotten us? Are you here? Are you even able to do anything about my circumstances? And then God starts his intervention again. And repair starts to take place. And we come back into a place of obeying God. But here's the thing. If we keep following that hamster wheel, half of the time we're dishonoring God. Or perhaps more. And so I think that, that this is a cycle that needs to be broken. Where we don't get into that place of pride and... Uh, self-congratulations, but instead we continue to honor, listen to God, and follow him so that the blessing will continue and we don't break faith with him. So keep this cycle in mind as we walk through the first part of the story of Gideon. In, in Judges chapter 6, we pick up the story, and, and as I read through this, I thought to myself, You know, Gideon is the last guy you would ask to do this stuff. He is the most unlikely, and the people of Israel are in the worst of circumstances. So here's what's actually going on at the time. So we pick it up in in Judges chapter 6, because the people have fallen into this place of doing what doesn't please God, and they are on that left end of the cycle, your left, and uh, they're getting desperate. They're getting into despair. So in Judges 1, uh, sorry, 6, 1 and 2, we read, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over, remember, just took his hands off, handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. I'm just going to stop here for a moment because some of you right away uh, have, have figured out there's that seven-year component and we see that in different 
times in different places in the Old Testament. God had uh, used a seven-year cycle. He established that as part of a cycle of life for the people of Israel. And the seventh year was the year of Jubilee. And debts were forgiven and slaves were let free. And we start all over again because we don't get stuck. And so there's this significance of this seven-year cycle in the life of the people of Israel. And for seven years, they're stuck in this bad place at the hands of the Midianites. You remember Joseph, when he was in, in Egypt, said there will be seven years of famine after there had been seven years of plenty. So they stocked up. There was this seven-year cycle that went on. This is something that seemed to happen over and over again in the Israelite history. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking that, but it looks really familiar. This looks like something we know. And so for seven years, they're suffering under the Midianites. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and strongholds. Um, I just got back from Mozambique where um, I am telling you, my, my heart is overjoyed that the people live at peace there, but for my high school years, there was civil war. And we heard over and over again these stories where our church, at times, little congregations would gather out in the bush in hiding where no one could hear them sing and pray because they were afraid of being attacked. Or the people would sleep out in the bush at night and not stay in their homes because their homes would be uh, a target. They know that, well, there's somebody there and there's stuff there, so we'll go find it. And so the people hid and they lived in fear. And it was easy for me when I was reading this to look around where I was sitting and go, yeah, that happened here too. And maybe that's not so easy for us to identify with because we live in incredible security and we don't hide from much. But if you come to a point where you have been under threat, you know what it is to hide. And maybe for us, it's not that we go into caves or out into the bush, but we don't answer our cell phone. Or we don't answer the door. Or we don't come to church. Because I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to be exposed. I don't want anyone to know. Or we avoid going to Thanksgiving dinner. And we live in hiding. Uh, I don't know what form hiding takes in your life, but um, some of us have done those things, haven't we? So then jump forward to, to verse 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Now, there's, there's a piece in there that I've left out, those intervening verses where it said they tried to plant their crops and the Midianites would just come through, feed their animals off the crops, trample them, camp out there. And when they left, it was just a field. There was nothing there to glean. And the people were starving. That's, that's oppression. And the people are worried, are we even going to survive? They are, they're on starvation rations, living in caves. Are we even going to survive? And then, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So often we wait until it's a matter of our survival before we turn to God. I'm going to try everything I can. I'll move into a cave. I'll, I'll grow food in hiding. I will avoid taking the phone calls until it's unavoidable. And then I go, oh, Lord, you better help me. <laughs> then we cry out to God. So here's where we find Gideon in this. We find Gideon in that kind of a setting where the people of God are fearful, terrified, starving to death, and... 
God comes to Gideon and says, hey, I've heard the cries of my people and I want to do something about this. I want them to come back to me. Let me just remind you for a moment before we dive into where Gideon's at in this, that it wasn't the intent, it wasn't the goal of God to make life easy for the Israelites. It was always the intent of God to have the Israelites live close to him and honor him with their lives. That's it. That was the goal. The byproduct of the goal, the things, the other things that happened where we get to live at peace, we are not under threat by people who can overrun us, and the Lord provides crops and livestock, and there's a sense of prosperity. In the midst of this, we find Gideon, and the angel of the Lord, or the Lord himself, actually, the first time, uh, appears to Gideon, and Gideon is in a very awkward, embarrassing position. How many times do we hear from God when we are at the place we really don't want to be seen? So here's Gideon, and what we read of him is that he is in a wine press where you put grapes and you trample the grapes and you get the juice out and it makes wine. He's in a wine press, but he's not making wine. He's in a wine press, but he's taken his, his grain, his wheat, and he's put it down into the wine press. And instead of taking his grain and his wheat onto a threshing floor where the oxen would trample the grain out and they would put the chaff into the air and they would thrash the wheat out of the head, instead of that, he's got it in the wine press and he is doing the work of an animal. He is thrashing the wheat by himself. This is how bad things have gotten. So here is this guy, and he is this hiding, scared farmer who is trying to get a little bit of wheat while no one's looking in a place they would never expect it. And the Lord says, Hey, Gideon, what's up? Oh, my goodness. How embarrassing is it for us when God shows up and we go, oh my word. Now God shows up. Now God speaks to me and this is a mess. And I am not where I belong. And I shouldn't be doing things this way. But this is the only way I know how right now. And I am desperate. And God shows up and we hang our heads and we say, oh, how far I have fallen. And God shows up to Gideon, and here he is threshing in the wine press. And so um, I think we have the passage here that goes with this. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the, the grain from the Midianites. That's what's going on. That's where he is. The angel of the Lord said, uh, appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Uh, I'm glad you see the humor in that. I'm sure Gideon did not. Here the Lord comes with, the, the angel of the Lord comes, and here's Gideon, and he's scared and he's hiding, and he's just trying to get a little bit of grain so that he can keep his family fed. And the Lord comes and says, Mighty hero. I mean, it's almost sarcastic. It's almost as though the Lord has a bit of sarcasm here and goes, really, Gideon, looking great, buddy, when he's, he's at his worst. He's at his most desperate. But here's the thing. The Lord doesn't employ sarcasm, I don't think. 
I think the Lord was speaking a truth over Gideon about his identity that was about to change. So let's go back to this. He's threshing the wheat in the wine press where he doesn't belong in an embarrassing and a threatened state. And the Lord comes along and says, you don't belong here. So I just want to remind you when the Lord shows up in your life and it's in that place where you would rather he didn't see you and really would rather your pastor or your family or whoever does not see you, the Lord probably is showing up to tell you, this is not who I made you to be. This is not where I intended you to be. And so he shows up here through his angel and he says, mighty warrior Gideon, you have an identity you have yet to realize. You have things to do with your life that you have yet to even understand and appreciate. Forgive us, Lord, when we think we've arrived in our 20s. For those of you that are young adults, be patient. God has so much ahead of you. For those of us that are a bit older, you're not done. There is still pieces of your identity and your purpose in life that God is unfolding and opening up. And so here comes the angel of the Lord, and he's not being sarcastic, and he's not making fun. He's not ridiculing Gideon when he looks down in the wine press and he goes, Hey, mighty warrior. And you can imagine Gideon looks up and goes, you got the wrong address, buddy. That's down the road. And the angel said, no, 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 it's you. You see, this re-identifying him was a reminder that we are the ones who walk away from the identity of God. And so the people were understanding this lie. They were saying, you know what? God, you abandoned us. We're in these bad, this bad situation because you didn't make things go well for us. We didn't abandon you, Lord, but you abandoned us. And actually, Gideon articulates that. He says that back to the angel of the Lord. And so again, Sir, Gideon replied, which I think is also a little bit sarcastic because he's about to make an accusation. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? So you can see all the way, also he's, from the start, he's setting up. This is our understanding. You, Lord, have forgotten us. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Right before this, the angel of the Lord said, hey, you know, the Lord is the one that brought you out of Egypt and Moses and all that. So remember that, Gideon? Where are all these miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now, and here he just says it right out front, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So he, he levels the accusation against the Lord. He says what everyone's thinking. Here's what I think. When we come to a place where we feel like God has forgotten us and God has abandoned us, it's probably been a while since we've thought about, communed with, listened to God. And it's probably rewired a little bit of our thinking. I mean, after seven years of oppression 
and the people say, you know, Lord, you abandon us, they've probably thought that their whole identity had changed. Remember, these are the people who came up out of Egypt with Moses, who were delivered from slavery and made it into the promised land. Not that much time has, take, has passed. Joshua died, and the people had no leader. And so in the book of Judges, they go to these kind of natural leaders and say, you be the one to lead us. And then they fall into sin, and they fall away from the Lord, and things go badly. And we tend, in those circumstances, to allow the way we think and the way we act and our attitudes and the way we interact with others to be changed and redefined by people who are victims. So you notice here that Gideon has redefined the people of Israel. Instead of being victors who have come out of Egypt, freed from slavery, marched in, walked around Jericho seven times and watched the walls crumble and watched people flee in front of them, they're now the ones that are hiding in wine presses. And when the Lord shows up, their thinking, their attitude, the change of their heart shows up as well. And Gideon goes, you forgot us, Lord. Where have you been? It's seven years late. And so he articulates this. And in this circumstance, God starts calling Gideon back to himself. And he invites Gideon into kind of a series of events of testing the Lord and obeying the Lord and firming up his faith and his resolve because he is going to become this mighty warrior, but he is not that mighty warrior yet. So I just want to remind you, when you're at that place where you're on your hands and knees and your knees are skinned and the wounds are bleeding and you hear the Lord say, mighty warrior, you're probably not there yet, but he knows what's possible. When you hear me say you are a child of God who is born of victory and you go, oh, you have no idea just how things have come apart in my life. You may not be there yet, but that is who you are called to be. That is who you are gifted to be. And so we need to learn to believe in God again and obey him again because that is going to start remapping and rewiring our minds and our hearts and our attitude and our lives. And so in the course of learning to believe and breaking that cycle, we have to understand that God does his work. Now there's, there's, a, there's a thing that goes on here between the Lord and Gideon. If you've got your Bibles open, you'll see it, where you know, the Lord says, Gideon, you're going to do this in your strength. And then when Gideon goes, really, he goes, actually, I am going to do this, but I'm going to use you, Gideon. This is going to be my work. And next week, we're going to see how God reminds Gideon, oh, this is for me to do. You are going to be part of it, but I'm the one who's going to do the work. It's going to be the Lord who gets the glory out of this. God is going to do his work. So if we say, you know, Lord, I'm just not capable, he just goes, uh-huh, right. I'm glad you got that because I'm going to do this with you and through you and to you. And at the end of it, you will know I am the one who did it. The Lord does his work. I'm reminded when in the New Testament, when Jesus reappeared to his disciples after he had been resurrected from the dead and he reinstates Peter into the fellowship after Peter had abandoned God 
Denied him three times. He says, I tell you, and he re-identifies Peter. I, and he doesn't call him Simon any longer. He says, I call you the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. I am going to do my work. I'm going to use you, but there will be no doubt in anyone's mind that I'm the one that's done it. God is going to do his work. So we see in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. This seems like such a departure from reality. For, for Gideon to hear this guy, this farmer that's hiding in a wine press, to hear, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be with you. And when you and I do this together, it's going to seem as though the Midianites were as weak as one person. So Gideon responds to this and he goes, okay, God, if, you, if this is really you, and I'm not just having a bad dream or a reaction to what I ate, I need to know this. I need some confirmation. Uh, I am here to tell you, I am so glad that the Lord is a Lord who confirms his word. Because we are people who doubt. And we are slow to learn. And so when the Lord speaks to us, we have a tendency to go, really? As our first response. You know, years and years ago, I walked over to Kayleen's dorm at night and told her I wanted her to meet her. And on the front steps of that dorm, I knelt down and I said, I want you to marry me. And you know what her response was? It wasn't, oh yes, I've been waiting for you to ask. It should have been. She should have known. Be nice, she says. She looked down at me and she said, are you serious? <laughs> and I had to say, oh, yes, I'm pretty serious. I was down on one knee and I said, yes, I'm serious. I, I want you to marry me. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't that offended. I wasn't put off. I didn't get up and say, okay, well, you had your chance and walk away. <laughs> I mean, I was invested in this. I was in love with this girl. And if I had to convince her, I was going to go about convincing her. So I stood up prepared to go, yeah, I'm really serious about this. And she soon said yes. I mean, within a sentence or two, thankfully. And so here's the thing. I, you know, I think God responds to us in similar ways. When we go to the Lord and, or when we cry out to him and he goes, here I am and I'm going to do something great with you and to you and through you, then we go, really? I think the Lord goes, I love you enough to confirm this to make sure you know how much I love you. And so I think one of the ways that the Lord confirms things for us today, at least the way I experience it most often, is that when the Lord says something to me, he confirms it usually through one of you or several of you. Where I will say something about, you know, I think we should, or the Lord laid this on my heart, and a head nods and somebody goes, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've been thinking about something similar. 
And I just love those moments, those serendipitous moments when we are having a conversation. And sometimes it comes the other way where one of you comes to me and goes, you know, I've been thinking about this. I think the Lord wants me to do it. And you, halfway through the next sentence, I'm sitting here going, yeah, interesting you say that. I've been thinking about similar things. And the Lord confirms to his people. It's not as though the Lord does not understand that we are people of doubt. Now, he doesn't like our doubt, and we don't need to live in doubt, but the Lord confirms to us. So Gideon says, you know, show me a sign. And, and uh, he goes through this little bit of a ritual. And uh, this is the way he sets it up in the very next verse, in verse 17. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. I want to I be sure. I want some certainty to this. So let me know. And what he does is he goes and he prepares an offering and he brings it back and he puts the offering out there before the Lord and, and it's just burned up. It's incinerated. It's gone. And then he goes, whoa, you know, I, this, this doesn't just happen. I understand this. And then what follows is this pattern. And I'm not going to go back to Scripture, but if you've got your... your Bible open to Judges chapter 6, or if you want to, over the next few days, read the rest of Judges chapter 6, because then God goes through this pattern of, of saying, okay, Gideon, now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Go to work and start cleaning things up and show me, prove to me that you will obey me. So when we ask for the, the, a sign from the Lord, be prepared, because the Lord might ask for something back. Oh, I will show you, now you show me. I will prove to you, now you prove yourself back to me in your obedience. And so there's this pattern of listen and clean and obey. So the Lord gives him this command. He gives this command to Gideon. He says, I want you to go and I want you to take you know, one of the cattle out of your father's herd and I want you to butcher it as an offering to me. You're not going to eat this. Remember, people are starving and I want you to butcher one of your cows and it's just going to be an offering and you're going to leave it lay out there and nobody's going to eat it and everybody's going to think you're stupid. Everybody's going to think you're ridiculous. You've lost your senses because we have very little food. But that's what he does in the middle of the night. He does that. And then at the same time, he takes down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. He takes these things down where the, the people have been worshiping other gods. They've abandoned the Lord of Israel and these other gods. And in the middle of the night, he does this. And the people wake up the next morning and go, whoa, what's going on? So the Lord said, I want you to make this offering to me. And he listened. And then he also cleaned up the yard. So here's the thing, when we cry out to the Lord and he goes, okay, I'm here, I'm going to do a mighty work. He doesn't do it and we sit back as spectators. He says, listen to me and now learn to recognize my voice because I'm going to call you to do even more ridiculous things than sacrificing your food source when you're starving. And we'll see that next week, that the Lord starts to lead Gideon through a series of decisions and you just go, okay, this is ludicrous. But it's not, it's the Lord. But the Lord wanted Gideon's attention and his recognition that this is the voice of God and so I'm going to do it. And he wasn't there yet. So he had to take these steps of clearing out the habits and, and clearing out some of the practices that show godlessness. Or show service to other gods. 
So when we say, okay, Lord, we're in desperate places, be prepared, and the Lord says, I'm ready to help, but you better be ready to go to work. You better be ready to do some things that the rest of the world would not choose to do. Because here's the thing. I want you to listen and then clean up here a little bit. Do these things so I can see that you have faith in me because what is coming next is going to require obedience. It's going to require a lot of faith. I wish I could say to you, you know, it's just a matter when God cries out and we say yes and it's all done and it's all, it, it's nice. But it's not. There's a part of that cycle that we have to go through. When we've walked away from God, coming back to God means that there's some things that have got to go. It means there's some things that God wants to clean up in our lives. And I'm really, really thankful that the Lord alerts us to what those things are. It would be easy for me and other people pastors and preachers have done this where they stood up here and they say okay this stuff in your life you guys get it out of there and it's it's all well intended and it's stuff that doesn't belong there so when you hear a pastor say you need to get rid of addiction and you need to get rid of bad habits and you need to you know work on broken relationships those all those things are valid but i i want to tell you very humbly up here if i'm saying that and you've never heard it from god i'm probably pointing you in the wrong direction Listen to what God wants you to clean up first and look for people to confirm it and then go to work. Years ago, I worked with a young man. I call him young because we were the same age. There you go. I was wondering how many more of you were awake, but a couple of you. I worked with a guy, and he was coming off of drugs. Um, He had abused drugs for years, and he had been through multiple relationships and really... At this point in his life now, he's been married five times. And uh, he was desperate. Uh, He was in jail when I connected with him, really connected with him. I knew him before that, but I connected with him in county jail. And he was detoxing and he was shaking. And and, uh, you could, if you've been around that, you know it's just not a happy scenario. And um, the Lord started to do work in his life and he started to show up in my life. And so... He didn't have a job. He couldn't hold down a job, but he had a lot of time on his hands. And someone who's dealing with addiction, time is not your friend. You don't need free time because you usually revert and go back to your habits. And so he started just hanging out with me, and it became pretty typical. And some of you have heard me tell this story before, but um, at our house, we had a deck off of the back of the house there where we were living in Springfield, Illinois. And frequently in the mornings I would get up and I'd open the shades on our kitchen window and Rocky would be sitting on our back deck with his coffee cup waiting for me to wake up. I mean like 6 a.m., 6.30. And um, sometimes it was chilly out there. And so I'd, I'd warn Kayleen, hey, Rocky's here again. And then I'd open the back door and say, hey, you want some breakfast? And he'd come in and eat breakfast with me. And then we'd go and do things. He would usually work on maintenance stuff at the church, and we worked on his life. But I started asking him, I said, Rocky, God needs to clean some of this stuff up, and you need to work on it. What's God telling you to do? And I had my list. I mean, he needed to get over the drugs, and he needed to uh, deal with these broken relationships with all these women. And he said to me, he goes, Pastor, I'm going to quit smoking. And I said, like, okay, that wouldn't have been my number one. But if you're going to quit smoking, go for it. But, uh, you know, you got these huge things sitting over here that need to be dealt with. No, I'm going to deal with my smoking. And I said, okay, well, let's start there. It's a place to start, you know. 
And I said, you know, so I started talking to him, you know, there's stuff you can take, this, you know, to help with the cravings and their support groups. And he goes, no, I'm just going to quit. And I thought, okay, this is not going to work. About three weeks later, he came in one morning and he said, I haven't had a cigarette in three weeks and I think I beat it. Really? Yeah. And some of you that have dealt with smoking know that, man, it is not easy. But he just walked away from it. I was like, wow. So I thought, okay, you know, what's the next thing God wants you to deal with? If that's... So then, you know, he brought up something else. I don't have a job. I think the Lord wants me to work on getting a job. And I was like, you're still using prescription drugs. You, you still got these relationships with women that are just a mess. You know, the Lord had a pattern with him. And the Lord had a pattern with me. Because I wanted, I, I wanted to climb the mountain. And the Lord just wanted him to go up the foothills first. Gideon, you're going to beat the Midianites, but tonight I want you to sacrifice a bull and take down that pole. <laughs> just, just go to the foothills, Gideon. Let's see how you do. And so I, I'm reminded that we need to be listening to the voice of God and following his guidance because sometimes we want to take the, the war, we want to win the war without waging the first battle. And so this pattern of listen to the Lord and recognize his voice. You go, okay, this is the Lord talking. Let's, let's commit ourselves to doing that together. And then when the Lord says, okay, let's take care of some of this stuff. I will trust you. Will you trust me that we go, okay, if this is it, let's do it. Let's start in the foothills and start climbing. Because eventually God is going to call us to a place where obeying him is going to require every ounce of faith we can muster. And we need to train ourselves and build up for that because we are caught in this mindset of abandonment from God, the lie that we are victims because God didn't look after us. And so the Lord is going to reshape us and do that. So I just want to remind you, uh, as I'm going to invite the band, you guys go ahead and come on up. I want to remind you that there's probably places in your life where the Lord is saying, I want you to be listening listening to me. Um, and, and I will be the first to admit, the Lord speaks to different people in different ways. I understand that. I appreciate that. But I am absolutely 100% convinced that he speaks to you just as clearly as he speaks to me. And so his words in our heart are accessible to all of us. You don't have to wait to hear it from me, although maybe there are times when I'll initiate it. But listen. And then as the Lord reveals, hey, let's deal with these places in your life, go, okay, let's start the work of cleaning up and taking care of these habits and patterns because there is a moment of obedience that's coming that's going to require us to be ready. Amen.